Hey, you're listening to Millennials Leaving Mormonism. We were raised in the Mormon faith, and now in our 30s, we have decided to leave this high-demand religion. We chat about our story and reflect on our journey of deconstruction. Hopefully this helps others if they have decided to leave, or just provides people with reasons why some do. We hope you enjoy. All right. Good morning. I'm saying morning. Good morning, because we're (laughs) recording this in the morning. Maybe we'll sound a little more energetic. I don't know if we sound not energetic at night, but we're... I think with you being in an actual chair instead of in bed, you can actually breathe with your (laughs) pregnant belly. I know. I I have listened to a couple of episodes that do sound out of breath, but I am very pregnant. Yes. (laughs) But I'm excited for this chat today because this was a huge shelf breaker thing for me when my friend sent it to me. And I just think it's kind of interesting overall to talk about the comparisons of these things. So... Just a little backstory, Stephen Hassan, if you haven't looked up who he is or heard about him, he is kind of a cult expert. He wrote a book called Combating Cult Mind Control, which I actually listened to. Super interesting. He was in a cult for a very long time, I think in the 70s, called the Moonies. And now he kind of devotes his life to helping other people get out of the out of cults and high demand things. And he came up with this bite model of authoritarian control that kind of lists out things to look for in cults. So it's behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control. And there's definitely a lot of comparisons to religion in general, but specifically our church that we just were like, whoa, this is really crazy. So we're going to kind of go through the bite model and share some of the comparisons and our experiences with those specific comparisons because it's wild. Yeah, I had never heard of this until this morning. We kind of looked over it real quick. And it's wild how many things our church has from the bite model. So, so much control uh, that apparently cults do. And so it'll be interesting to go through all these and see the similarities that ours have to other cults. Yeah, and you can go to his website if you want to read it yourself. You can also, there's a Mormon Stories episode where they interview Stephen Hassan. I think it's like a two-part episode. It's pretty long, but he's just a really interesting guy and Um, So yeah, let's jump into the first one, which is the B in the bite model, behavior control. And we kind of circled each one that we felt like was related to the church. So we're just going to skip around to those. Yeah, and sorry, before we dive into this, I just want to say I think I can understand more where people are coming from when they're frustrated at the church after leaving. Because once you see all the ways that they've manipulated you and controlled you, then it's natural to be very frustrated at what they've done. So did you get especially frustrated just this morning. I'm a little bit frustrated. <laughs> it's not that I hate the church, this. but then you read all this stuff and you're yeah. like, that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. And I don't think they do it in a, they're not trying to be harmful, but the end result I, you can see from this bite model is that it's probably pretty harmful to most people uh, psychologically. So yeah, let's go through it. Okay. The first one that we found in behavior control is dictate where, how, and with whom the member lives and associates or isolates. Yeah. So, I mean, that to me just sounds like being in your ward. So when you go to the Mormon church, you're not allowed to go to other wards. You're assigned a ward and you're only supposed to interact with, I guess not only supposed to interact with those people, but 99% of the time you're only going to interact with people in your ward that you're assigned to go to. So 
It's like going to a congregation, but you're not allowed to go visit any other congregations because you've been assigned to be with those people. Yeah, it becomes like your little family, your ward Mm -hmm. family, as they say. And it's based on your location, so they try to do it where you're like in close proximity with the other people as far as where you live. But what's so funny about that is when John and I had our first house, the church was literally across the street. We're like, this is going to be so great. We'll just literally cross the street. There's our church directly from our across from our house. And then we find out our wards like on the other side of town. We have to drive around just because that's the way that they did the the whole um, boundary of our ward. And we're like, this is so silly. We could just go across the street. And then wards are also in stakes, which is like a bunch of wards put together. So it's really funny. Yeah, they do control that a little bit. Um, the next one is when, how, and with whom the member has sex, which people often say that we're not a sex cult, but we kind of are because they control so much about our sex life or like just think everything revolving around sex that that's a huge one yeah there's been i mean more of i think the history of the church nowadays again you can't have sex until you're married in the church but it's not like they're forcing you to marry someone and have sex with someone right but in the early days man with polygamy and Mm -hmm. stuff like that it was pretty wild and then i think it was like in the 70s or something where they said that you couldn't have oral sex even with your spouse mm-hmm. that was that, that was a thing and they're still huge against masturbation in any form which uh-huh. i think is i've i've recently just been like wow that's kind of crazy especially for these teenage boys that have all this built up angst like you can't <laughs> masturbate and they compare masturbation to like murder like they really they treat it really yeah. badly there's no other sin worse except for murder in the mormon church yeah and they just talk about chastity is a huge thing but anyway um, so yeah, that's one of the things. Control types of clothing and hairstyles. Yeah, I mean, when you look at someone, you can tell they're Mormon because the women wear those. What are they called? The shorts that are down to your the Bermuda shorts Bermuda to your shorts. knees that are not flattering on most people. And <laughs> in then my all opinion. the all the guys. It hasn't been as much lately, but for I mean, all growing up, you couldn't have a beard. There was no oh. guys, and even now, if you're any type of leader in the church, you don't have a beard. You have that clean cut. If you go White to BYU-Idaho, you don't have a beard mm-hmm. or you, yep. you're not supposed to. Yeah. And for women especially, modesty is like a huge thing, which is why part of the reason I think why they make you wear garments is because it goes, it's like a t-shirt and shorts under your clothes. So you can't really wear clothes that show the garments and they're very focused on modesty and not showing like your shoulders. You can't wear tank tops. You can't wear shorts that go too far above the knee. So they're definitely controlling about that. And they want you to look a certain way, for sure. And there is a cliche like, this is a Mormon woman, and this is a Mormon (laughs) man, I think. Um, The next one's regulate diet, food, and drink, hunger, and or fasting. Yeah, so once a month you're supposed to fast, um, which you go 24 hours without eating, which I very rarely did. (laughs) (laughs) And I think a lot of religions fast. I actually don't think there's anything wrong with fasting. And obviously over the years they've discovered like there's actually a lot of health benefits to fasting. Yeah, I think fasting is great. But the word of wisdom is something that they use to control what we, supposedly what we eat or drink. It's more about what you can't eat or drink than what you can. Actually, I think that's interesting now that I'm thinking about it. Fasting coupled with the church. So I'd say one of the only times that I I felt like the spirit at church is I was working this crazy job where I was installing ATMs and uh, we were driving around and we were working like crazy hours, like 12 or 14 hours, really physical work. But I was about to get my patriarchal blessing, and so I read the whole Book of Mormon, and then I fasted while doing this job. And when I went and got the, my patriarchal blessing, I hadn't eaten in 24 hours, and I was absolutely exhausted. And then I got that patriarchal blessing, and I like, I was like, man, this is so crazy. I feel the spirit so much. But in retrospect, it could just be 
you're you're exhausted. You haven't eaten, <laughs> and you're doing well. I was doing manual labor at the same time. Yeah. And so I didn't have any food or water, and then I go to this uh, spiritual event, and I felt something there. So. Mm. Uh, yeah, something I think about, but I think fasting too can keep you or make you more in tune with your self and your thoughts. I think, you know what I mean? It's almost like a form of meditation. Yeah. So I think it's a good thing, but I think a lot of times people have religious experiences while they're Mm -hmm. fasting. So financial exploitation, manipulation, or dependence. I wouldn't say, I don't know. It's sort of like that, but tithing, you pay 10% of your income. And if you don't pay, we talked about that in the last episode, you don't pay, you feel pretty guilty and yeah 10 percent is crazy like most mm-hmm. churches don't require 10 percent. i think you go and you give what you feel like you want to give but yeah in our church it's a you're required to give 10 percent. otherwise you can't progress in the mm-hmm. church you can't go to the temple um and so there's a lot of strings and it's in the bible the 10 percent thing right but mm-hmm. but yeah a lot of people have interpreted differently and they even make poor people that can't feed their families pay tithing and that's the part that i think is manipulation and dependence where it's like Oh, you can't feed your family? Pay your tithing. And I've heard stories of people that, so then you have to go to the bishop and say, I literally can't feed my family. So then the bishop regulates the money you get. And then they, they have like a leader in like the women's group, the Relief Society or the men's group. And they take them to the bishop's storehouse that has food and they have to like watch what they buy. Like it's very strategic. It's like pay your tithing first, then we'll figure out your food. Yeah. it's. I think that's one of the worst things is like, if you don't have enough money to feed your family, then they, they have you hooked. Like, yeah. you have to pay 10%, and then you have to rely on them to get your food. For food, yeah. Which is messed up. Which is pretty crazy, and yeah, we've heard a lot of stories about that recently. Uh, restrict leisure, entertainment, vacation time. I wouldn't say they purposely restrict it, but they give you really high intense calling sometimes that require a lot of your time. And anyway, the church in general just requires a lot of your time. So sometimes it's just hard to fit in leisure and entertainment when you have so much else going on like you said with your dad he was always in higher up callings and so he was just busy all the time yeah well even like with your callings like you were teaching and so Mm -hmm. you had to have someone cover your your yeah shift your my shift yeah my (laughs) if I wasn't going I had to make sure someone else could do it and yeah it mine wasn't mine was primary so it wasn't as intense as some of the others but that's definitely something major time spent with group indoctrination and rituals and or self-indoctrination including the internet um yeah group indoctrination and rituals just reminded me of the temple it's very Mm. ritualistic and that's kind of all i had yeah i was just thinking of sunday school and how oh yeah they they go over it's really interesting in the church i in the church i just felt bad that i wasn't enjoying church i never did but they literally go over the same stuff every single week it's just once they go through the entire manual, then they repeat it. And it just goes over and over and over. And it drove me nuts. It's like, I've been doing the same lesson for 30 years. Why can't we talk about something interesting? I I, yeah, I never thought about it that way. It's That is how you indoctrinate is you just repeat things over and over, essentially. And you like, you know, really drive it home, right? Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, rewards and punishments used to modify behaviors with both positive and negative. Definitely rewards and punishments I think in any religion, but definitely yeah. ours, it's like pretty obvious rewards. Like you get to go to the temple. You don't get to go to the temple. You get to take the sacrament. You don't get to take the sacrament, which we have a lot of those that compare. Mm-hmm. Uh, discourage individualism and encourage group think. 100% something that the church does. Like if you don't think like everyone else. So there's people that sometimes in church, they want to speak up and raise their hand and, you know, say something controversial and I've been in rooms where people have done that and they stick out like a sore thumb and everyone feels uncomfortable and it's like that is not how you're supposed to like think about this scripture or that's not how you're supposed to feel about this doctrine 
and it makes you not be individual, which is why I applaud people that are a little more progressive and have different thoughts in the church and are willing to speak up because that's a very hard thing to do. Yeah. It's so funny because they even call it in church your Sunday school answers because there's like, again, you've been going over the same material for 30 years. And so everyone has, they know the answers. They're they're the Sunday school answers. And Mm -hmm. so the teacher will be up there teaching a lesson, ask a question. Everyone in the room knows the answer because it's the same material Mm -hmm. they've been doing their whole lives. So. Yeah, it's just really obvious when someone gives their own opinion. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, like, that's oh, not okay. You can't do that. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Impose rigid rules and regulations. Definitely. We have, I think Mormons are some of the strictest people as far as rules go yeah. in any religion. I mean, culturally, there's different religions that have other rules, but we definitely have, as far as like in the U.S., it's very obvious how intense our rules are. Yeah, I think after leaving, you realize how much of the church uh, controls of your life because after we left, we're like, Oh, we get to choose our own underwear and we get to yeah. choose. There's so much. Try buying underwear in your 30s. It's really weird. <laughs> You're like, what underwear do I like? <laughs> yeah, I think there's just a, an insane amount of rules that you don't realize that you're following until you stop following them. Mm-hmm. Which jumps us down to the next one, instill dependency and obedience. I mean, yeah, you definitely have dependency and obedience because of all those rules and regulations you're supposed to follow. Mm-hmm. The last one on that list was separation of families, which is really interesting because it can happen in this life, but it definitely happens in the eternities if you leave the church. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's um, a lot of families that are very orthodox and very like, we. this is what our family does. And if you step outside of that, they just stop talking to you. It's not, I think the Jehovah Witness and there's some other groups that if you leave, you're not allowed to talk to them. Yeah, Scientology. Mm-hmm. Our church definitely isn't like that, but I've heard that people have been kind of kicked out of their family essentially from yeah. leaving. Yeah, luckily we don't have families like that, but there, I have heard several stories of people getting disowned or their family just treats them a lot differently yeah. than they used to. But definitely in eternity, they're like, yeah, you are going to lose your family forever. How's that feel? <laughs> so that that's all the behavior control ones. The next um, is the eye and the bite model, which is information control. Definitely a huge one. I think we almost circled all of these (laughs) in this one. But uh, the first one is deception. So it says deliberately withhold information, distort information to make it more acceptable, and systematically lie to the cult member. (laughs) Well, we just went over this in our second episode about the history of the church. Literally, that's 100% deception. All the history that they withhold from people and all the truths that they don't talk about. Yeah, and they do it in such a clever way because... They're like, we never told you that Joseph Smith didn't have a bunch of wives. But if you're in the church for 30 years and you never hear about it, I feel like at some level they are hiding that from you. I had no idea, even when I was on my mission, that Joseph Smith had more than one wife. And I think, because everyone knows Brigham Young did, but um, they don't talk about any of the other church leaders. Because Joseph Smith did, and then Brigham Young did, and then uh, two or three leaders past him did. And you never, Mm -hmm. ever hear about those. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I always think about the Joseph Smith stone in, a, in the hat where he translated the Book of Mormon with the stone rather than, like, reading off of the gold plates. And that always bothered me. Like, well, that's bothered me recently because I'm like, that. the pictures I saw in church were him looking at the plates. Like, that's oh, yeah. manipulative. You're going to put artwork on your church walls and in your church handbooks that are Joseph Smith looking at gold plates, and that's not how he did it. Just because it's uncomfortable the way that he actually looked in a hat and read it off. I mean, yeah, it'd be weird to have a picture of him looking in a hat, but they sure have him on the internet now. The church (laughs) has put out pictures of him looking in a hat because they know that they've deceived us for so long. Yeah, I think it's interesting now that the church has to come forward with these things Mm -hmm. because, yeah, for so long they, they didn't talk about it. 
I, well, I won't say that they never ever talked about it, but it was like in the most obscure places that I don't know how you'd even find it, like in some of their magazines or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, yeah, we talked about it. It was in this this manual here, and it was in this magazine over here. But any normal church member would never ever see that information, and definitely not investigators. Right, and they came out with the Joseph Smith papers, which they which is all like his journals mm-hmm. and stuff, and it is so long. There's thousands and thousands of pages. No one's gonna sit and read through all of that. Maybe some people do. Oh, it's so. But boring. there's I a tried. reason. Like it's probably in there, but no one, no normal person's going in there and like reading the whole thing. And so that's definitely a deception. And the other thing is that the general membership doesn't know these things. Maybe there's a handful of people that have learned it in passing or growing in the church but they don't bring it up to like their family or their other church members because i remember we talked about it with your parents and they were like oh yeah we knew that we're like you did (laughs) you didn't tell us that why do you think they didn't tell us because it's not faith promoting (laughs) yeah i think it's really interesting one of the early prophets i I don't remember which one but you know how there's several versions of the first vision Mm -hmm. he read that in joseph smith's journal i think and he actually ripped it out and hid it from the church for a lot of years and now if you go back and look at the joseph smith papers they've released he taped it back in and now it's back in there. Right. Which I'm like, that's that's crazy that they deliberately withheld that for so long. Yeah. The next one is minimize or discourage access to non-cult sources of information, including, and the three that in this that we circled, critical information, former members, and keep members busy so they don't have time to think and investigate. So anti-material or people like us that have left and we want to share things with you. We are antis. And so they definitely discourage you from listening to former members. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because it's so frustrating. It's like anti-material. It sounds so bad. It sounds like there's people out there that just wake up and the only thing they think about all day is how can I destroy other church or other church members' faith? Mm-hmm. And that's not how it is. Like a lot of people just want to think critically and share their experiences, but you can't do that in the church. Right. And the other one is keep members busy so they don't have time to think and investigate. Yeah. If you keep them busy with callings, like you said, and keep them involved every Sunday. And it's funny because it's actually gone down a little bit. Like church used to be three hours. Now it's two hours. Even before our time, church was like during the week as well. Now it's usually like there's like a mutual for like young men, young women. And then there's like primary activities and things like that. But they've actually lowered the time commitment a little bit, but there's still the callings that, you know, have you super involved. And every Sunday you have to be at church and all that stuff. So they definitely... Maybe that's why more people are leaving. They're less... I don't know. Yeah, they're less indoctrinated. <laughs> the next one's compartmentalize information in into outsider versus insider doctrine. So same concept. It says control information at different levels and missions within the group. Allow only leadership to decide who needs to know what and when. So again, it relates to the anti thing or people that leave. It also relates to... I was thinking of the apostles and prophets and leaders in the church that maybe no more information that they don't share Mm. like we talked about so i didn't think about that but they actually had manuals i think now everyone's able to access them yeah but for years there was like the bishop's manual and uh the state president's manual and you weren't allowed to review those if you weren't those people if you weren't a bishop you weren't allowed to look at that material yeah and there are some higher up um things within the temple and stuff like that that i've learned about uh, that only leaders really know about Mm -hmm. and stuff which is also kind of shady uh the next one's extensive use of cult generated information and propaganda and so that's like magazines newsletters journals so they have i mean propaganda sounds like really intense but they do have church magazines they do have a church youtube and like social media constantly trying to promote 
And a lot of their clips and things that they'll share out of context are good because they're mainly Christian. They're talking about Jesus and, but they don't ever share the uncomfortable stuff in a clip or in an, a magazine. And the other one is the misquoting statements or using them out of context from non-cult sources. There have been a lot of quotes throughout the years that they have manipulated and changed in order to make them sound better. So one specific was Spencer W. Kimball was a prophet and he discouraged people of different races from getting married. And he has a quote about it. And it was in the Young Women's and Young Men's Manual until the 90s or early 2000s, some people were saying. Yeah, I remember reading that and my parents were talking to my sisters about that, that they that the church encouraged you to stay within whatever race you are. Right. And which obviously is super racist. And <laughs> Kimball was a prophet, what, in the 70s, 80s? I think yeah. so. What's interesting about it now is they'll have the quote still, which I came across it, but now they have an ellipsis, like a dot, 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 and they cut out the race part, but they have everything else that he said. Yeah. And another one that is crazy, I think we talked about it before, but the happiness letter. So Joseph Smith was trying to get an 18-year-old girl to marry him and he wrote out a bunch of stuff like you know if we follow the commandments then God's going to make us happy but if you don't then you're going to be struck down to hell and a lot of church members or a lot of uh, church leaders have used that talk because there's mm-hmm. a quote in it that sounds really really good it's it talks about uh, the design of our existence is to be happy and mm-hmm. we should be in the church and fall anyways it's just crazy that uh, they've used that one quote. And if they knew what that whole letter was about, they would never use it because you're, Joseph Smith was basically trying to coerce an 18-year-old to have sex with him. Yeah, he was saying, like, the happy, like yeah, we'd be so much happier if yeah. we were together. And you're like, hold on a second. The last one in the information control is unethical use of confession. And the one specifically in that is withholding forgiveness or absolution. So if you confess to a bishop, similar to how you confess to a priest in another religion or something like that, Um, They kind of control how you are disciplined. So, for example, if you confess something and they think that you shouldn't go to the temple, they will take your temple recommend away. Or they will say, you're not allowed to take the sacrament on Sundays for this amount of time. Or they can even say, you have to have a disciplinary council with these leaders in the stake and you can't go like on a mission. Or you might have even worse consequences. You could even get excommunicated. So they get to control what your level of forgiveness is, which... As I read the Bible and stuff, I'm like, I don't feel like that's how Jesus wanted it. But that is how they do it in the church. Yeah, that one makes me mad because that one's to me, is just disgusting that uh, someone can tell you if God forgives you or not and what you have to do to make it back or to be with God again. It's uh, That one just makes me so frustrated. I, I hate that one. Yeah, it is really frustrating that. And, you know, they talk about repentance and they say it's between you and God and you pray about it and he can forgive you. But you also have extra steps, especially if you've done X, Y, and Z. If you've broken the word of wisdom or the law of chastity and had sex before marriage or anything like that, it's like you have to confess. It's it's expected of you to confess, yeah, which, yeah. which I hope some people don't because I personally think that it should be between you and God. But that is the way the church teaches. Yeah, it's it's just insane and really gross to me that someone would have that much power over you. Uh, in the church that says, oh, actually, I thought about it, and you can't go to the temple unless, or until I say so. Maybe it's a year, maybe Mm -hmm. it's six months, but that, to me, is just really gross that someone has that power in the church today. And it's really hard because I've heard stories where it's like a bishop roulette, they say. Sometimes people will go, and they'll say something to one bishop, and the bishop gives them this answer, and maybe that person tells their friend, oh, yeah, the bishop just did this. It wasn't that big a deal. Then they go tell their other bishop, and that bishop's a lot stricter and takes their temple recommend away or something, you know, and it's like, 
they aren't all on the same page. And I get really frustrated about this because I'm like, if they were all just on the same page about every little detail, like as as detailed as you have to be, if that's what they're going to do, then they could all, you know, I'll be level playing field. You wouldn't be able to like judge based on just whoever is the bishop at the time. Or better yet, just say, you go work it out with God and when you yeah. feel ready, come talk to me and like say that you're good to go. Or I don't know, don't not even bring him into it. Yeah, my last thought about that was that you get baptized at eight, right? So it's, I basically you're expected from baptism on to confess these sins, right? So uh-huh. even as young as eight, if something, if you, you do something that you feel like you need to confess, then that that is weird because you have to be in a room by yourself with this man. So that's a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're going to move on to the T in bite model, which is thought control. The first one says require members to internalize the group's doctrine as truth. So this whole thing is 100% our church adopting the group's map of reality as reality instill black and white thinking decide between good and evil organize people into us versus them insiders versus outsiders yeah and i think that's huge with again the anti stuff there the people in the church are righteous and they're good and the people outside are evil and anti and it's it's crazy that they even have a label for people that are outside the church that have left the church they're all mm-hmm. anti mormons mm-hmm. and even those that haven't been a member you are raised, if you're raised in the church, you're given a filter of like, I have the truth. I know the plan of salvation. I know where we go when we die. And you're constantly told you need to share that with everyone that's not a member because every single person on earth that's not a Mormon has to get baptized, has to go to the temple and has to do all of these things because they will not go to heaven if they don't. And if they don't get a chance to in this life, that's fine. We'll do it for them when they're dead. That's part of the temple. You baptize them when they're dead. Like, for the dead on behalf of them and all these things. But you are told like from the beginning, you have the truth. Other people don't. Yeah. What they're doing is wrong. What you're doing is right. I think it's interesting where it says uh, instill black and white thinking. When was the last time you were at church and they say this, this topic is complicated. Yeah. It's never that it's, this is good. This is bad. I always think about like the LGBTQ stuff. Like, you know, we, when we were in the church, it was like, yeah, you definitely shouldn't get married (laughs) if you're gay. You definitely shouldn't practice or you shouldn't have a partner or whatever. You should just live your life celibate or live your life, you know, with the opposite sex and just hope that it changes. And then since leaving, we've, I mean, we've always, I think maybe deep down, we both kind of felt like, oh, that seems like the worst possible advice. Like that seems like a horrible way to live, but we never could voice that opinion because it's like that's against what the church teaches but it is a complicated thing and it's like why can't we recognize that it is complicated yeah i think that's so sad people that have done that because i just think of myself it's like i'm straight but if i was forced to live with a guy and never be with a woman that would just yeah and you live your whole life like that Mm -hmm. and then maybe at some point down the road you're like actually i do like this other gender and to not have that throughout your whole life just seems very very sad right The next one is use of loaded language and cliches, which constrict knowledge, stop critical thoughts, and reduce complexities. So the stop critical thoughts and the reduced complexities are definitely something they talk about. They want to keep things simple. They want you to focus on the simple truths and not focus so much on the complexities of history or the things we don't know or critically think about how weird certain aspects of the church are. Yeah, I think that kind of goes back to those Sunday school answers. There's you know the manual and then there's those questions and the answers that everyone knows and it's simple and everyone knows it and if you think critically then you're 
You're a weirdo. <laughs> You're a weirdo. You weirdo. Stop using your brain that God gave you. But what's interesting about this, though, now I've noticed is there are a lot of people within the church or like apologetic people that have written books that I've actually listened to when I went back to church that talk about like faith beyond complexity, you know, going through like those Sunday school answers, then having a complex experience like these faith crises and things, and then coming out of it with more faith, whatever that looks like within the church or without the church. Um, but they still encourage you to just focus on those Sunday school answers and don't dwell on things that are weird, like polygamy. Um, just focus on that. The simple, the simple truths. The next one we found was the teaching thought stopping techniques, which shut down reality testing by stopping negative thoughts and allowing only positive thoughts, including denial, rationalization, justification, and wishful thinking. So that was like the main part of that one. Which is funny when I when I reread it now, it's like they really do not want you to think negatively. It just reminds me of the Keep Sweet documentary. Mm-hmm. It's like Keep Sweet, or more recently, Think Celestial, which <laughs> is what the prophet currently said at the last conference in October. He said to think celestial. So don't think about the don't celestial about... worldly things that are negative. Think about the positive things. Yeah, don't think about anything that doesn't align with Mormon doctrine 100%. Just make it simple. Focus on the Sunday school answers. Mm-hmm. And also rationalization is interesting because you do rationalize a lot in the church. Like, oh, well, we don't do this because... And you kind of like formulate your own answer. Yeah, and I think that's all those things that get put on your shelf. You know, you have all those things that you're like, that's kind of weird. But then you put it on your shelf and don't think about it until your shelf breaks. And then you see all that stuff that's on your shelf. Mm-hmm. The next one's rejection of rational analysis, critical thinking, constructive criticism. So you're supposed to agree with everything, basically. Yeah, I think within the church, there's no there's no critical thinking. You never go to Sunday school because that would be interesting, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. If you went to Sunday school and you actually had to think critically about an actual issue, it's always just, yeah, keep with the Sunday school answers and don't think too much about it. Yeah, it's like I said, if someone voices their own opinion on something or like an original thought, it stands out like a sore thumb and people are really uncomfortable. Yeah. That's weird. And also constructive criticism, you're not allowed to criticize. And that goes on to the next one. Forbid critical questions about leader, doctrine, or policy allowed. And just recently, there's um, someone named Nemo the Mormon on YouTube who's from the UK who talks a lot about this because he's still considers himself a member, I think. But he's tried really hard to, like, um, what's the word? He's tried really hard to oppose oppose the leadership because in general conference and in our wards they ask us to sustain the prophet and apostles and leaders and you're supposed to sustain them by raising your right hand and showing that you support them but if but they say any opposed you manifest it the same way you raise your hand which is so interesting because they ask you to oppose but they don't let you oppose how does they're contradicting themselves you know if you oppose talk to your bishop stake president about it and but nothing will happen. Nothing will change. <laughs> and actually, that's really interesting. I forgot that's one of the questions to get into the temple is if you support mm-hmm. both your local and general leaders of the church. And if you don't, then you can't go to the temple. It's giving you the illusion that you can have your own opinion, but you can't. Uh, the next one is labeling alternative beliefs as illegitimate, evil, or not useful. So anti, like we said, or even other faiths. They talk about the great and abominable church in the Book of Mormon. <laughs> and... There was a time when the prophets were saying that was the Catholic Church. Yeah. And now it's like more like, oh, it's just, you know, other faiths in general, which doesn't make it any better. And it always bothered me because I grew up around a lot of people of different faiths or some didn't have a religion. And it was like, I'm supposed to think that your religion is terrible or you're terrible, even though you're trying your best to be a good person. Yeah. 
It's crazy. And I, it's kind of interesting in the church. You go to church, you feel the spirit, and then you go to the temple if you want to like meditate and learn more. But they always kind of look down at other like I will I'll say like hippie things. And so if you wanted to go meditate or do yoga outside and you know do those things, don't you think the church would kind of like be like you're kind of out there. You're kind of like a weirdo for for pursuing anything that isn't prescribed by the church. Yeah, again, I think that's more of like the indoctrination. It just like creates these mental images in your mind of people that are weird versus people that are normal. Yeah. And the people that follow the church exactly are normal and the people that do anything outside of that are weird. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. The last one is instill new map of reality, which I don't know if this is what really it means, but we do literally have a map of eternity of like where we were before we came here. It's called the plan of salvation. And you can look it up online and there's actually like, it, it looks like a map basically. Now they call it the covenant path actually. Oh, I didn't but know that. we literally have maps that someone has drawn up showing us what our reality is. And again, like we talked about once that reality shatters, you're like, do I even know what reality is? Like you have to, it's crazy. Cause they just, they give you a map. And like, it, you know exactly why you're here and where you're going. I could just imagine someone in the church going over the bite model. And they're like, we might need to rename that map. <laughs> Maybe we salvation. should make it look less like a map. <laughs> and yeah, the covenant path one is so funny because there's really like the gate. And then there's like, it just looks like a map. It's so funny. Anyway, so that was the thought control. The last one is the E in the bite model, which is emotional control, which this one is we circled everything. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it really shows where the church focuses and how it yeah. controls you. And it's hundred percent through emotional control. And we know that as missionaries, cause like we talked about before you control like convert, like how converts feel the spirit basically through their emotions. Yeah. Yep. So the first one is manipulate and narrow the range of feelings. Some emotions and or needs are deemed evil, wrong, or selfish. Basically everything that doesn't go with the church is evil, wrong, or selfish. Yeah. And you're not, again, they make it very simple. You can't feel anything else besides good. Otherwise it's evil. Mm -hmm. So if someone, if you were questioning your faith and you feel a little bit not good about that, then that's an evil thought from the devil. So don't think outside of what makes you feel good because that's evil. Right. And I think of the selfish aspect we talked about when you get asked to have a calling or a, an assignment in the church to teach or to serve, you have to say yes. Because if not, you're being selfish. Like you, you feel like, oh, I'm being selfish. You're like I have 500 things going on in my life, and it's really not a good time for me to become the bishop. But I have to say yes. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting because it's you always point inwards instead of blaming the church. Like I really don't think the church should put this on me right now. Instead, you think, yeah, I just feel like such a terrible person for even questioning the church and this new assignment that I have. Because they say it's from God, so it's like I'm. Oh my gosh, am I putting myself before God? Why would I do that? <laughs> right. Uh, the other ones teach emotion, teach emotion stopping techniques to block feelings of homesickness, anger, and doubt. You just talked about that, especially doubt. Actually, like they have really cracked down on stop and doubt. There's a talk called doubt your doubts, so they don't want you to doubt at all. Anger for sure reminds me of that documentary Keep Sweet, but they talk about it in the church too, like angers of the devil, which has really bothered me because. We don't process our emotions well if you're in the Mormon church. I think Mormons have a really hard time processing normal human emotions like anger or sadness. Yeah, because I think it's a very natural thing to sometimes feel angry or have mm -hmm. doubt. But in the church, if you have any of those feelings, then you're a sinner. You're, mm -hmm. you're doing something wrong. And so you internalize that and you blame yourself a lot. You kind of beat yourself up. Right. And homesickness just reminded me of like when you serve a mission they make you feel pretty bad or they used to about being homesick. Like, it's like, you're serving the Lord. Like, get over it. You'll be fine. You know, nowadays they're a little bit more lax. Like we couldn't talk to our families. We could only talk to our families on the phone 
or through FaceTime like twice a year. Mm-hmm. And now, um, you know, I've just had a brother serve a mission. He could call his family as much as he wanted. And so and I think text even, right? And text or Facebook message. So they just realized like, hey, th- there's not going to be many missionaries left if we keep harping on homesickness and making people feel bad about it. The next ones make the person feel that that problems are always their own fault, never the leader's or group's fault, which I feel like we talked about this. Yeah, yep. Promote feelings of guilt or unworthiness, such as identity guilt, you are not living up to your potential, your family is deficient, your past is suspect, your affiliations are unwise, your thoughts, feelings, actions are irrelevant or selfish, social guilt, historical guilt. So we talked about fear in the last episode and guilt, Um, but yeah, those are... I feel like if you're a member of the church, you don't. We don't even have to expand on that. It's yeah. like if you know, you know. That's yeah. <laughs> they, that's that is the church. Mm-hmm. All those things. Especially you're not living up to your potential. Whew. The next one's instill fear, such as fear of thinking independently, the outside world, enemies, losing one's salvation, leaving or being shunned by the group, others' disapproval. I mean, yeah. Again, <laughs> if you know, you know. Losing one's salvation. Yeah, you definitely are not going to go to heaven if you leave the church. Leaving or being shunned by the group. Yeah, people look at you. Well, first they look at you like a project. And then once they know you're like definitely not coming back, they probably look at you a little differently. Right now I'm in the project phase where people in the church are still contacting me. And I actually was asked to have a bishop meeting on Sunday. And I'm like, I actually, I had to physically say, like, I was like, no, I can't. Sorry. And he's like, oh, is there another time that works? And I'm like, actually, I'm not going to church. So, (laughs) and it was like, why do we have to ask? Can you just like be honest? Be like, I noticed you haven't been at church. Are you coming back? (laughs) Yeah, that's funny because... They must like you more than me because I stopped going and I didn't get any phone calls or texts. I think they so. feel worse for the woman. If they know that the husband left, they're like, oh, Just man, must be so hard for her now because her husband's not going. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, they definitely, you definitely, you don't get shunned. Like, it's not like uh, Scientology where they try to destroy your life, which I think is so crazy and sad. But they definitely, I can tell they look at you differently. Yeah, I almost think that it's the opposite because then you go from being one of them and now you're just this project. Yeah. And so it's not... It's definitely not malicious. They try to be nice mm-hmm. and try to include you, and they want you back so mm-hmm. desperately. But uh, you're definitely not one of them. You're just the project that the group needs to work on. Yeah, it goes back to the idea of when you tell your family or close friends that are in the church that you're leaving that they feel like you died and they feel like you're losing all, all these blessings. That's how they feel in the church, most people, I think, and they're just trying to make yeah. sure you have those blessings again. I think it's but, pretty genuine. Yeah, but little do they know we're actually doing great. <laughs> Uh, extremes of emotional highs and lows, love bombing, and praise one moment, then declaring you're a horrible sinner. <laughs> I mean... Love bombing, I think, is huge in the church, especially if you're new. When we first moved in, people were like, we love you. Here's all these treats. I'm going to visit you all the time. Welcome to the ward. Da, 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 da. And then you kind of fall off the face of the earth. <laughs> yeah, just think about, especially with uh, converts to the church, when you are a convert to the church, you are the best thing that's ever happened to the church since Jesus. You are amazing. <laughs> People just are, you know, slapping you on the back saying, great job, you did it, you're amazing. And then once you kind of get uh, into the church, then it's all of a sudden, well, you could be doing more. And I think that's when the guilt trip starts. And I think that's probably more of the uh, the lows. And the horrible sinner part just comes from like, I don't know, being leaving the church, I think of like, you know, you're in the church, you get all this love bombing and praise, and then you leave and you're a horrible sinner. Yeah. Even they just assume I'm, that you're a horrible sinner, even though I don't <laughs> know exactly what you're doing. Because again, it's those extreme examples that they get over the pulpit that make them think that you're doing something extreme because you left. Yeah. Because it's interesting. I think everyone that when you're in a church and you see someone leave, you assume it's because they want to do, they want to break the rules. Yeah. But 
after I left, I literally didn't change a single thing in my life for mm-hmm. six months. There was nothing different. Yeah, it, and there really isn't anything hugely different now. It's just that we don't believe it anymore. Yep. The next one's ritualistic and sometimes public confession of sins. So you don't have to publicly confess, but you are publicly shamed in a lot of ways. Like not taking the sacrament, people notice you have to pass these trays of bread and water down the line. And if you skip over it, they're, they can see that and they know, oh, he did something or she did something. They're not able to take the sacrament, which is really crazy to me because I feel like Jesus wanted everyone to remember him and everyone to believe in him, even if they were sinners, like he hung out with the sinners. Mm -hmm. And yet now it's like, no, you can't have his blessings and take the sacrament because you're a sinner. Yep. Yeah. And it's so awkward, especially for the youth. I feel bad for them that they have to skip it. And it's like, okay, there's only so many things a a young man is going to do to not be able to take a sacrament. So it's super awkward. And uh, yeah, I think it's terrible. And the other one I thought of was in the temple. Um, You don't, like I mentioned, you don't know a lot going into the temple. You know that you're going to make some promises and there's some rituals that you do. And that's all you really know. But then you get in there and they're like, if you don't want to make these covenants, stand up and leave. But you're with there. Usually you're with your family the first time. And there's people around you that you know from your ward. And you're like, I'm literally not going to stand up and leave. And I've heard people actually physically start crying because they want to leave. But they can't because it's that public shame. It's like people would know that something's off, that you're not, you don't feel right about this. And that's another public shaming kind of situation. Yeah, I did not feel, after they said that, like, you want to get up and leave? I was like, yeah, I do. (laughs) But I can't. Because sometimes, like, even, like, grandparents will travel. And it's such Mm -hmm. a big moment to go through the temple for the first time with your entire family. Mm -hmm. And could you imagine how awkward that would be? I don't, I'll bet you not a single person in the church has ever stood up and left Mm-hmm. When they ask you if you want to leave, because yeah, they're like, oh, they don't want to leave because they want to do it. No, it's insanely awkward to get up and leave. <laughs> and they also tell you that you're supposed to have a name memorized when you go through the temple, and they say if you forget the name, you have to get up and go <laughs> get it from someone. But everyone in the room, like all the women, have the same name, and all the men have the same name. So it's like you could literally lean over to your friend or whoever you're with and be like, what was the name again? But the way that they do it. You have to get up and go get it from someone that works in the temple, which I've, I always thought was weird. Luckily, I've never forgotten it. Oh, I've definitely had someone <laughs> lean over and they're like, what was it? And I whispered it to them. I know, and but you're technically not supposed to, yeah. but I would do the same if I forgot it. And the last one is phobia indoctrination, incul- inculcating, I don't know what that word means, but irrational fears about leaving the group or questioning the leader's authority. So no happiness or fulfillment possible outside of the group, terrible consequences if you leave, like hell all that stuff, shunning or shunning of those who leave, fear of being rejected by friends and family, and never a legitimate reason to leave. Those who leave are weak, undisciplined, unspiritual, worldly, brainwashed by family or counselor, seduced by money or sex or rock and roll, (laughs) which I like that one. I'm like, I'm constantly seduced by rock and roll, but we just talked about that a little bit. But yeah, again, phobia indoctrination, I think is so interesting. I never thought of it as a phobia. I'd say that's a core I don't know, principle of the church is the phobia indoctrination because that, I think that sums up everything perfectly about the Mormon church. Mm-hmm. You, you, you're told as soon as you leave, you're not happy anymore. And those poor people that do leave, they just have to live this miserable life. That's the one that I want to talk about is the last one. Never legit, legitimate reason to leave. Uh, there's been several talks, I think recently that called people that leave lazy learners and it's so funny because I've never learned more my entire life than <laughs> after I left and started diving into the doctrine of the church. Um, yeah, 100%. Because 
I, I was lazy learner in the church because <laughs> there, we were just talking about this this morning. There's so many books and there's so many things you're supposed to study and they're all pretty boring and not exciting and repetitive. And then you leave the church and you are open to this world of quote unquote anti-material or just think you can just study whatever you want. Like I am excited because we started reading the book Sapiens and like that book would probably definitely be looked down upon mm -hmm. if you're in the church because it talks more about uh, the history of mankind and things like that or just having the option to kind of learn whatever you want and not have to just first you got to learn the church stuff then you can learn whatever you want it's like no i'm too lazy to learn more because <laughs> i've already learned all this church stuff i'm tired <laughs> but yeah i agree like you're not like i feel like you're the opposite of lazy learner when yeah. you leave i mean even i didn't watch general conference well, let's be honest i don't think i've ever watched general conference <laughs> but i looked up a lot of the footnotes and uh or cliff notes of general conference afterwards because i thought it was super interesting the things they talked about and uh yeah made a lot of people uh, have a lot of feelings, both mm -hmm. that think celestial and then also that you shouldn't listen to anyone outside of a faithful Mormon, mm -hmm. which if you're in a mixed faith family, that's, mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine a more insulting thing to say. So if your dad isn't a Mormon, don't, don't listen to your dad because he's, you know, he's not faithful. What, what does he have to contribute to you? But yeah, if he's faithful, then yeah, go ahead and listen to him. That bothered a lot of people inside and outside the church, actually. Yeah. And just to end on, the first part of that, it says no happiness or fulfillment possible outside of the group. They have talked about that for years. And there's a specific talk where they say, where will you go? I think it's Ballard. He says, where will you go if you leave the church? Like, you're not going to have all of these things. And they just really drill it into you that you are not going to be happy. They had X, Y, and Z happen because they left the church. Because that's mm -hmm. how you are taught in the church. It's like, if you leave, you're going to have bad things happen to you and you're not going to be happy. But we haven't had to force it because we've actually talked about how like our marriage feels better, our family relationships are closer, we're just overall more like mentally stable. I feel like yeah, our emotions are very anxiety. stable. Yeah. There's just a lot that has changed for the better for us. So for us, it's the opposite. It's like we've actually found more happiness and fulfillment outside than inside. How dare you? <laughs> Which, yeah, terrible to say. Anyway, those are the things within the bite model that we have felt like related a lot to the church and if there's any other ones that you find as you like read the bite model let us know because i think it's really interesting um that this has come out and that we can kind of compare and contrast and just to end on i know that there are worse cults out there or worse <laughs> religions out there that do terrible terrible things to people within and without and that have left the church and i'm grateful that our church i think is a less extreme version mm -hmm. in a lot of ways but there are still some things that are just super negative and they're important to address because it's something I didn't realize. And it's like they say, you don't realize you're in it, in a cult or in a high demand religion until you step away and see how the, the majority of a normal, healthy world lives. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that I think 99% of the people in the church are just amazing people that mean well with everything that they, they do for you and for the members of the church. But it's set up in a way that makes it a super high demand religion, puts a lot of unnecessary stress on you and your family. Mm -hmm. I think overall it's more harmful than beneficial to the majority of people. At least that is that's how it is for our family. I feel like after we left, it's been better on the outside than it was on the inside. So Yeah, and I think something that Stephen Hassan talks about in his book is that he just his goal is to just have people trust themselves and live a healthy, happy life 
whatever that looks like for them. And I think sometimes the church is so black and white with this is the only way to return to God and to have a happy life and to live happily for eternity that they don't necessarily take into account the individual or the family and how they think, what their mental health is, if they're LGBTQ, you know, all these things, they don't take that into account because it's this is the mold, this is the one way, and everything outside of that will bring you unhappiness, but that's mm-hmm. just not the case we found. Yep. Anyway, thanks for listening. This is one of our longer episodes, but I thought it was really interesting, so yeah, hopefully it, you did too. Yeah, it was too. very interesting, and again, I can see why people are frustrated once they leave the church, but uh, overall, I think the church has helped a lot of people, but it definitely looks kind of cultish. So. <laughs> so anyway, thanks for listening. <laughs>